The views and opinions expressed by the producers, hosts, and guests of Flash Black Radio do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Flash Black or its parent company. Listener discretion is advised. As our world, anywhere we're in the United States, and so there's a lot of chaos in 2019. And I think that it's really, I think that the the White House occupant is really. <laughs> my understanding is he was born on an eclipse, so eclipse babies. That's what they do. Eclipses shine light where light hasn't been seen before, and eclipses run in cycles. There's always with Uh, with eclipses there's always two of them there's a solar and lunar eclipse within close proximity to one another and sometimes if there's more than two they belong to other cycles Um, but each eclipse is paired and in that pairing pairing in kind of the metaphysical sense represents reflection Um, if you have dreams about twos about pairs about partners that is one of them is you and the other is your reflection and whatever that means to you in any given circumstance. And so as as the United States is feeling this kind of ever urgent sense of chaos and uprootedness, my thought is that this isn't these things that are that we're seeing happening. They've been happening for a while and we simply couldn't see them. And the current White House occupant is bringing light in a way that is very, very, very uncomfortable. But at the same time, we can't change something that we can't see, that we're not aware of. So if you want children not to be in cages with no basic basic toiletries, you have to know that that exists first before you're anywhere close to being motivated how do how and what to do about that and you may not have any real idea but the but things start with that impetuous that that with the seed being planted of this thing isn't right isn't okay so then we have to figure out how to get to a level of okayness and i think that this is true on the individual level i also find this to be true at the collective level where we have in order to, I believe that we come here with specific kind of life life lessons to learn. And in order to get to those lessons, we have to find the opposite in equal and, and opposite reaction or like in measure. So if this is my zero point, if I'm coming for a level four of forgiveness, let's say on a scale of one to 10, I'm going to have to find myself in a situation that is a negative four on the forgiveness scale, something that causes level four feelings um, of distress in order to get to the level four feeling of forgiveness. This is also true at a level 10. Um, And if we think about, I also believe that the world is a reflection of how we really feel about ourselves. And so if we think about the world that we've been existing in, however, whatever your story is, Think about the things that are recurring, that are repeating, and those are very likely keys, especially the things that are distressing. Those are very likely keys to the thing you came here to learn. 
mm-hmm. at whatever level that is. Uh, and my further understanding of that is that that doesn't exist in a vacuum either. And that is perpetuated by what is acceptable in society, in any given society at any given point in time that you exist. So if a level 10 of physical pain was me stubbing my toe on a dresser, I and I came here to experience a level 10 in pain just based on what the society offers, like in that society, a level 10 of pain was stubbing my toe on a dresser, then when I stub my toe on the dresser, I might curse the dresser maker and the person who put that dresser in my way so that I stubbed my toe on it. But that is, and from there, I would be able to find what my level 10 of forgiveness of pain is, of physical pain. And that, but that's not true in our, you know, our current society, what are kind of our level 10 are murder and rape. And so and otherwise uh, destruction and disaffirmation toward women and the feminine as far as ideas and uh, characteristics. And so we're finding ourselves in, in a level 10. We're finding ourselves in crisis mode as it regards these societally acceptable. And by acceptable, I mean voiced, vocalized that we despise or disgrace this thing, and yet we allow it, we very continuously allow it to go on. So that's what I mean by acceptable. And so in our current society, globally, we find a lot of violence towards women, towards feminine characteristics. We also find women being used as weapons of war. Rape is absolutely a weapon of war. Um, violence is absolutely a weapon of war. Fear, manipulation, those are absolutely weapons of war. And so to be within that space at a global level um, in so many places that it feels like it's everywhere, it's not everywhere, but it does feel like that at times, that that is a reflection of how each of us feel about ourselves, ultimately. That is, we feel that we should be warred upon. Uh, So that's, that's, that comes back to the point of not being able to do something about it unless we know it exists. So uh, going back to the level, you're saying level four, level 10. um, Am I incorrect in interpreting in part what you're saying that these levels are in in essence uh, showing us how to access deeper levels of empathy? To be able yes. to to understand uh, what some, not only what that pain is, but be able to relate that pain to something else that maybe we have not experienced, but say, well, hey, I did experience this pain, so maybe this is similar to that pain over there. And maybe because these two things are similar, we're not too dissimilar. Is that? Yes. Yes, but it's also at the individual level. We have certain ideas beliefs, thoughts about ourselves, about who we find ourselves to be or who we think ourselves, like who who it is I think I am, who, who it is you think you are. And that may not be at the level of lesson that we came here to learn. And so having it dismantled, having something moved into pieces 
gives us also a different sort of insight into our own sense of empathy within ourselves, mm. within who we thought we were, within having forgiveness for ourselves, within not being so hard on ourselves, within finding a new way to do life, to be life that works better for us now. Because mm. often we'll get stuck on something that worked a long time ago that maybe isn't working as well now. And then we don't necessarily have good tools to emote in our United States society, I think in many societies society. around the world. I about to say, it goes beyond the uh, United States. It does. I just can only speak yeah, from here. Correct. Um, um, I can I can speak from my experience, what I'm living, you know, and where I'm living. That's fair. Uh, so I I personally have a lot of different philosophies that I apply to myself. A lot of things that I've I've kind of unearthed or excavated within myself that you know I find to be a truism that applies to me, not necessarily everybody else, and not saying everybody has to live by it, but. One of the things that I find to be true internally is that I think and I believe that we all are born with the truth that we need for us to actually make it through this life. The problem that we have or we often experience is we don't understand how to to process that truth or we don't understand how to accept that truth. It's like it's like you know, it's kind of like you know you you want to know the answer to something, but you want the answer to be what you want it to be and how you want it to be. Right. And you might not be in the particular space to actually understand why the answer isn't as you would like it to be. You know, and it's just like at the end of the day, the truth is is going to be what it is. We can't change the truth just to suit us. And I think we have a lot of that that uh, cognitive dissonance. And incongruence when it comes to that, you were talking about earlier in terms of the levels, in terms of the duality. And as I see it, um, the duality is, you know, on one level, we have an America that we emote, you know, to, to the world saying we are the land of the free, the home of the brave. Yet on another level, we were based, we were founded on the idea of holding people as chattel slaves you see what i'm saying so and and that is something that as a country we have not actually addressed and refused to address because there's so much collective fragility tied to the idea of whiteness as i see it again this is my perspective like that's these are two these are different philosophies like you know mingling there's the one the inner truth and there's also you know, I, I just feel like, you know, the idea of whiteness in and of itself is so fragile because it's propagated on something that is a lie and can't be maintained without more lies. So the more you lie, the more fragile it becomes, the more precarious it becomes, and uh, the more problematic it becomes is you have to coddle this lie. And, and people who, who, who tie everything to it because that makes them feel and at the end of the day, I think that's the reason why the current occupant, as you say, of the White House was able to win the election that he won. At the end of the day, I think we we like the ideas or the ideals of, of freedom. We like the ideals of being fair and just. But if that's at a cost to me feeling superior and special and being better than, then am I going to, am I really going to give all that up? 
that privilege? Am I going to give that? I know this is going kind of left of what you were talking about. So I just, I was just, those are some of the things I thought of. So I will, I will step back out. So. Well, I think that any conversation about not just white privilege and white fragility, we have to talk about white male violence. We have to talk about how, so I find truth to be subjective and we probably may have some disagreement on that, but if we're standing on a circle, if we're standing on a circle, we can't occupy the exact same space on the circle. We can be right next to each other and see very nearly the same thing, but we can't occupy the exact same space on that circle. And thus we're going to have a subjectively different experience. It might be slightly different, but subjectively different experience than the person next to us on the circle Mm -hmm. and probably completely different experience than the person facing us on Mm -hmm. the circle. Um, And so I find truth to be subjective in that way, but for white male violence can, you know, we have to include how violence has been used as this state of terror. Uh, The UN did a report year or two ago and their ambassadors to the United States, they said, oh no, black and brown people have absolutely been living in terrorist-like conditions for all of this time. Depending on which black and brown people you ask in the United States, we're going to call that having been having lived under terror for minimum 400 years, depending on which group you ask. Um, longer than that for other groups, depending, you know, depending on the specificities of what that particular group has gone through. And and white violence, white male violence in particular, um, is so is so perpetual and so ingrained that it's not even called violence anymore. It's just sort of the state of being. What I learned, my master's degree is in women's spirituality. And so I spent two years in deep circle and ritual with other women, but really have a nuanced understanding of violence. And violence shows up in our language. Violence shows up in our everyday lives. It is violence. It is psychological violence that, yes, and spiritual violence too, but it is, it's violence that I am expected as either a woman or a person of color or both that I'm expected to maybe give way to a white man who's walking down the street. That's psychosocial violence. That's, that is intrinsic, um, buffering that is an intrinsic layering that I am less as a person than you, a white male, maybe. And so violence shows up in very pernicious ways. Um, it can be, it's very intrinsic and insidious, um, I would say. And it shows up in our language. It shows up in our television programs. It shows up in uh, the, the occupant of the White House is a really good example of what male violence run amok looks like because there's no accountability and there's clearly no accountability. <laughs> yeah. And I, I want to add to that. Um, I believe that the reason or not the reason because there is a nuanced matter and there are a number of reasons. It's seldom just one thing to for anything. It's often a lot of sub factors. One of the sub factors, I believe, uh, comes down to complicity. 
I mm-hmm. think there are a lot of people who are complicit either in their own victimization or the victimization of others because there's a level of comfort that it's not me or I have this position above these people. I.e., if you wanted to go and look at slavery, for example, how there was a big house typically, right? And typically there was a master of said big house, often a white male. There were some female slave masters who were the head of the house, but typically a white male. And whatever violence happened was under the aegis or under the protection or under the approval, rather, of said white male. But that doesn't mean that the, the, the woman of the house or his woman of the house was not aware of the things that happened in the house. Did not take part in it because sometimes she could be as vicious, if not more, than he was. And there's that complicity that I'm talking about in terms of like, okay, well, I know that you're a bad actor in this or whatever, but you're my bad actor. So we're in this together. And, you know, that type of complicity carries down to the children. I think one is carried genetically, just like stress can be carried genetically and all these other factors that they're they're starting to pick up and all these studies, whatever. I think that can be carried genetically. That memory can be carried genetically. And it goes down to the children and is reinforced through behavior, constantly seeing this bad actor, constantly hearing the language you're talking about, the the violence coded in it. Even if they don't understand what the violence means at a younger age, they can still feel that violence and feel how it's directed and know that, okay, this is okay in this manner because they're doing it and they're getting away with it or nobody's pushing back. So I can do this on some level. So, um, yeah, I um, think that's all very interesting. Yes, for sure. It also, there's also something called epigenetics, which is the opposite of genetics where it's saying, your environment can tell yourself how to act. And so it, I will also point out that to many of the slave owners, it wasn't a bad thing. Like it was, this is, this is what it is. And this is a good thing for me. Oh, you're talking about from their perspective. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that was, I mean, I I think, and there was that the funny, and this goes back to that, the light, the lie I was talking about, the, the fragility of it, because there's so much that goes to undergirding that fragility. The idea that you uh, came up with phrenology and, you know, and things like that and whatever studies to prove like, okay, these people are inferior, so it, it, it's okay. And you have like these, these rulings that they're three-fifths of a human being, so it's okay. And you, you have all these things to say, you know, the Bible says this, and you, you tell the lie so much you believe it yourself, and so it's okay because... God said we can do this, and then science says we can do this, and then society says we can do this, and so it's okay. The, the, this is okay for me. And But the question that I think, and I think this is um, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but I think this is one of the reasons why there's such a difficult um, difficulty for a lot of white people to reconcile with the atrocities of slavery. The question that is not really answered or even asked a lot of times was why do you think at that time they felt so comfortable doing it you know just because you can do something doesn't mean you have to there are a lot of things when people are not looking that you can do and you know what what is right and wrong and whether or not you choose to do right or wrong that's between you and your creator or whatever you believe in right but like you know there's so many things that were done and like why do you think that was okay why were you okay with doing that 
And then why do you feel so much within yourself that you can't even acknowledge that it was an atrocity? And then we need to reconcile that. Why why are you so married to that atrocity that you can't acknowledge the, the wrongs of it if you had nothing to do with it? Because that, that's part of the argument that's right now, right? It is. I think it also comes to... One of my professors, she, she took the premise that things that were enacted at the time made sense at the time. And so part of it is letting go. You know, the Bible, the, the current version of the Bible is accepted as 66 books. And I don't know the exact number, but it had far many, far greater, yeah. uh, far higher number of books that were actually considered biblical text. Mm-hmm. And at the time that this version was created is the wrong word, but um, assembled, they said, oh, it was very, it was also very political. They said, oh, this, this doesn't serve us right now. This doesn't serve us right now. This doesn't serve us right now. I, I, and, I actually spoke with like a, 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 no, that's another conversation. Let's talk about it offline. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, but her premise is that things made sense at the time that they were enacted. In Islam, the ruling for four wives, which in a puritanical Christian society like the United States, pseudo both of those things, pseudo puritanical, pseudo Christian society like the United States, that also favors monogamy or pretends to favor monogamy, four wives, polygamy is terrible, but four wives was down from 100 and greatly improved the lives of the wives as it, as it pertained to their husband. Um, and so things things always have context. So yes, yes, at yes, because I could put this other very hardy, very sturdy group of people in into slavery and build a whole new nation that is very wealthy on that, that has ramification, but it also it had to make sense to enough people at the time in order for it ever to have happened at all. Uh, and the three points of empathy, I, I do think that that is a key piece that's missing from learning how to emote. You're right. People don't know how to deal with these really big, deeply seated, genetic, epigenetic, all of this, these emotions. Three points of empathy to, to do that. One is, do I believe you? Do I believe that your truth is yours? Second, do I... Can I shift my position? Can I try to see it from your perspective? And third is, if new information is incorporated, can I incorporate that new information? So again, it comes to being believed. It comes to believing the other person that your truth may not be my truth, but I do believe that your truth is yours. I believe that you believe your truth. And at most, in most disagreements, people are not even willing to come to that first point of empathy. They're not even, I, I believe so much in what I'm saying or what I'm doing that I can't even believe that what you're saying could possibly be true. Yeah, that's, uh, that's real. And I think that's the reason why it's so easy to have either or issues or to frame either or arguments such as a pro-life versus pro-choice when it's such, to me, it's a, such a nuanced 
I was so confused by that. Uh, uh, I was Democrat being, or Republican. It's like, it's like you know. So you those have, aren't. They're not that different to me. But that's 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 another discussion. Do you understand well. what I'm saying? I believe though. I yeah. do. But I think the duality is part of the problem. In finding finding this either or, I think for me, I found a much useful paradigm to be both and, and both and contains paradox. Both this thing and this and this other seemingly paradoxical thing, both of them can and do exist simultaneously, even in the same person. Mm-hmm. I think that either or the hard line on either or is a like huge where does part that line? Yeah, and I think yeah, and I think that that line becomes absolute, but you don't know where the absolute line actually starts and where right. you draw and, and that's the problem because like you know for me when i hear people talk about their pro-life or whatever but like like to what regard you know are you well, pro-life I but are you pro-life that you're cool with the death penalty like you know i didn't understand so being pro-life and being pro-choice are they're not opposites that not my was, not my estimation no because i i believe Greatly a lot confusing. of the positions of pro-life, but at the end of the day, I don't think that my beliefs should override or supersede the right of a woman to choose what she does with her body. Right. I think that goes into a whole different level of nonsense and shenanigans. We'll keep this clean. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just don't agree. Look, I've personally been in the situation where I've, you know, I've, I've been in the situation like, yo, like I really would like you to not do this. But at the end of the day... I have to phrase it from, I would like you to not do this, but understanding it was ultimately her decision. Right. It, I, I agree with the degrees of things and people mostly want a surface degree. They want a surface level of thing. They want to say this thing without understanding what it really means to be or believe this thing. Uh, people don't want that kind of responsibility also. And so they turn to things like I am pro-life or I am pro-choice and they turn to it almost as a pseudo identity where I've I've wrapped so much of my identity in this thing that I don't even know I don't even know if I can articulate what it means to me except that me kind of saying something and what? and see and and, and that's over and over. And I I'm hearing what you're saying but that in part is also what's troubling to me I keep saying in part but I don't want to say in in totality but that is also very troubling to me and that's that's something I've been wrestling with in terms of how I've been seeing the acceleration of the divide within our country. You know, before Trump became the occupant of the White House, as you say, I'll go with people's like I like I like the different ways to throw shade. Uh, uh, <laughs> before he became the the occupant of the White House, I remember there was a whole thing where people would say, Well, I'm I'm a conservative. And when people said that, I'm like, well, what the hell does that mean? Like, cause some people's like they say the conservative they mean fiscally conservative, but what to, to what extreme? How conservative are you? Conservative for like the spending of like uh, funds or like taking half the budget and applying it to defense when we have a defense budget that exceeds um, the top twenty-five nations in the in the world, and those twenty-four were the first, and those other twenty-four are our allies. That type of fiscal? Are we talking about conservative? Are we talking about the type of conservatives, like in terms of like religious belief and values? Is that really a thing? Because we're supposed to be a country that says you have a freedom of religion, but typically the way a freedom of religion works in this country is you're free to believe and say what you want as long as you agree with what I think and believe. So it's just you're, like to, uh, you're free to be Christian. Yeah, well, I mean, and you're free to be fairly, fairly 
religiously conservative Christian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not really free to be anything else. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so for me, the, the, the question that I've been having is when people say that they're, when they identify as something, I, I become immediately leery and, and, uh, I'm not going to say uncomfortable, but I became I become suspicious. I I I want to know more because like for somebody to just say that they're Christian in this day and age, like to me that means like what the hell does that mean? And I'm saying that in a in a in a, in a, a way to offend Christians. I was raised in the Christian household, but the thing is, uh, my father was Presbyterian, right, or is Presbyterian. So like on Sundays when I was with him, I would go to this Presbyterian church, the same one. From the time I was born until the time I went to college. However, my mother was in different denominations of Christianity. So there was the AME, there was the Baptist, there was the, you know, and those churches can be, you know, sometimes they can be mixed congregation, they can be like 100% black, or they can be, you know, it, like what does that mean to say that you're Christian? Because they have all these sects to Christianity, and at the end of the day, they're all supposed to follow the same God, but they don't all follow the same rules. So again, when people identify as like I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican, I'm troubled by that because this is how you're this is how you're shaping yourself and the, and the 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 definition is not the same. You put ten people in a room, you say I'm a conservative. Their level of conservative is not going to be the same, even if they're married. It might be similar, but it ain't going to be the same. That comes to questions of identity, and we hold our identities very dear. Because in part, I believe we don't, we don't know how to change that same thing with not knowing how to emote. We don't have the tools to deal with difficult things and to get through them and to say, I believe this before, but I believe this now. Like that's, that's an ultimate identity changing. I spend a lot of time in my car. (laughs) Of course, that's a gross understatement. Um, But what I notice in, I've lived in a lot of places, and so in traveling, I'm always playing. I'm usually traveling by myself, and so I'm playing games with myself just to sort of keep myself sane on the road. One of them is license plates, and when people specialize their license plate, this is an identity marker for them. Mm-hmm. This is something they, with the exception of, well, it's it's still true, but for like a company, you know, Molly Maids, number one, number two, number three, that's fine. That's also marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it's a personalized license plate, I am somebody's mom or somebody's wife or, you know, somebody gave husband partner gave this car to me, something like that. Like there is a very strong identity piece that you want to be recognized for. So I think that that also plays into these more politicized issues that this is something you want to be recognized for without necessarily having fully thought through what that could mean what that does mean how that can be how that can show up in in the rest of your life and i don't think people put that much thought into it people people take on identities for a variety of reasons but many of those reasons are external and we have to when when they are internalized they they may or may not be problematic but when they're internalized it's just it's a much deeper thread that has to be uprooted if it's ever going to be uprooted. Many people are fine with what they believe, even not having thought it through to the level that you I, or I, I th- might think yeah, it through. I think it does, and I agree with what you're saying. I think it comes very much uh, down to 
having to actually live whatever ideal you are espousing, you know? And I, I say for me, like I, I said pro-choice, right? I told you I very much believe in 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 life and of, of course life is important and all that good stuff. And you know, I didn't in this situation want, you know, the the counter to that to happen, which is abortion or whatever, but at the end of the day, that was a test for me, I think, is that I didn't have to like the outcome of what happened, but at the end of the day, I still had to respect that she was able to make the choice and she had the right to make that choice for whatever reason. And she's going to have to live the choice just like I'm going to have to live with the choice, right? So it's just one of those things. And I, I, I think um, it's easy for people, especially when they live in small communities and they don't really uh, move far out. There are a lot of people that, that come from small town and they live educated and they die in small town and they never get outside of small town. So their beliefs aren't actually you know, really that impactful in terms of how they Im- Im- affect and impact other people. Because a lot of those people were having, they're around are having the same beliefs. So when you get to start moving around and interacting with other people and seeing other lives and walks of life or whatever, when those things become tested and you have to start asking yourself, if you're honest, asking yourself these questions. So um, I, I think uh, when you get out there and you have an opportunity to start, you know, testing these ideals and, and seeing if they actually apply or they feel right once you're there. Actually, you know, it's, it, it, yeah, like I said, it's, I think sometimes it just has to be tested out. I mean, at the end of the day, like you can, you can say you, you feel a particular way. Um, the Reagans are a good example. That's what I was trying to get around to. Um, the Reagan family was very much against stem cells and that type of research. They were very, they were staunch against it. And then Ronald Reagan had Alzheimer's and they saw the impact of Alzheimer's and how horrible. And I've seen Alzheimer's also. Uh, uh, so I know that it is, is not fun. And I'm, you know, I'm putting it very lightly. I don't mean to be dismissive. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's just it's, it's terrible to see anybody go through that and, and how it affects the people that are able to remember. Right. So it changed their their perspective when they were able to see that perhaps stem cells can actually cut this off at the past. And it changed your thinking just like that. And sometimes like it's easy to have a thought if that thought doesn't have actually impact you. So it's easy for a lot of white cisgendered men to be pro-life because they don't have the responsibility of ever having to carry a life within them. There was, I believe it was a Rachel Maddow, uh, Maddow segment where she was asking a conservative white Republican male she said, well, what do you think would be the reasons that a woman might have an abortion? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> I thought that was a really good example of what you just said in that people's identities, they're so personal, first of all. And until something comes to personally change it, most people are not going to change. In the average small town in the United States, Honest to goodness, they're never exposed because of the reasons you said, because they never really move. They're never really more than 10 or 15 miles from maybe where they were born, where their family is. That sort of insular insular uh, <laughs> thought and thought process, that's not really their fault, honestly. Uh, but if no new thoughts are ever introduced that make you change 
your idea about something that are the equivalent of Ronald Reagan with Alzheimer's, why would you change? Why would you change it? And most people, it doesn't make it. It's world altering for them to change a belief. And in my experience, changing an identity factor belief about yourself, most people come to this conclusion. If I'm wrong now, and most people look at it as right or wrong, I'm either right or I'm wrong. If I'm wrong now, then I've always been wrong. And and basically like, what am I doing with my life? And most people don't actually want to, they don't want the ramifications of that. They don't want to have to do something different. Um, They take the discomfort that is known rather than that. This is going to get real uncomfortable real quickly. And I don't, I don't want to deal with that, but also I don't think we know how to deal with that. I don't think we have a very sophisticated grasp on even just the feeling of emotions. We have specific emotions that men are allowed to feel, men are allowed to feel anger. So part of part of violence is a lack of empathy for self. Part of male violence is a lack of empathy and a lack of value for their own self, which they are then projecting to the outer world because they feel like it's something they can control. Um, so men are allowed to feel anger and men, men who can feel anger, feel it a little healthier. Now I'm not talking about the violence, but well, so it violence is accepted in that way. If two men have beef, they can fight it out and then go have a beer. Women aren't allowed to express anger. So, so our emotion expressions are very limited and they're very gendered in our current society. Um, men are not allowed to really express like sadness or depression or things. Those are considered Hurt, receptive. Vulnerability. Yes. Yeah. yes. Those are considered receptive things. And, um, and then women, women, the only way women are really allowed to express emotion is through tears. So that comes into white women's tears as well. Um, just that being the emotion for everything. And oh, and there's an indig- indignation and self-righteousness. Well, the world got to stop when white women's tears fall though. Huh? I said, the world right. got to stop when white women's tears fall, though. So. And and white women expect that. And women of color, that's not my expectation. <laughs> As a black woman, that's not my expectation that if I'm having strong emotions that somebody else is going to do something about it. Right. Um, based on my own experience. And so, so having not a spectrum of emotion, having like maybe three specific emotions that we are each allowed to feel, that of course is going to stunt the rest of our emotional and psychological growth as a society, as a collective. And we have no idea how to deal, how to feel these very difficult things to feel. No idea how to do that. And so we hope we cling to the thing that we know. I'm utterly familiar with this level of discomfort for these particular reasons. And I would guess that most people don't even get into the reasons because that's too uncomfortable. Like I would much rather be at this level of comfortable discomfort. I would say comfortable uncomfort, but that's not, you know, actually a word. Um, I would much rather be at this level than to have to explore something else because that's, it's just too big. It's just too scary. And I don't have any tools to get me there. Yeah. Okay. So maybe in the next podcast, what we can do is we can try to do a little bit of digging and 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 look into why some of that might be so i think it might be healthy on the next podcast to perhaps jump in 
and look at like some of the like I can think of like when you're younger, people tell you like how to feel. It's like if a, if a boy is crying, they tell you to toughen up or man up. If a, right. You know, if a girl wants to go out and play with the boys or whatever, it's like girls don't do that. Like you know, like right. You know, act like a lady. Um, I think these things. <laughs> I saw your head just tilt. Uh, <laughs> uh, but these things happen. Oh, well, we, we've seen it firsthand, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure our listeners can, can attest to the same thing. So I think we should perhaps dig into that on the next podcast. Uh, Let's do it. All right. Well, Dr. Charlie Brown, I thank you so much. Uh, do you want to tell the world what you're doing right now? Any, any information you want to give for you? Well, you can find me, world. You can find me at drcharliebrown.com. It's Charlie with just an I and brown like the color. And that will give you a bit of a window into what I call my transpersonal philosophy and kind of how I'm showing up and living my life and trying to do that on purpose. So I would love to have you connect with me, drcharliebrown.com. I'm also on Facebook, uh, slash Dr. Charlie Brown, spelled the same way. So I hope to connect with you great folks sometime soon. Awesome. Awesome. So... Thank you all for listening. And again, this is Dr. Charlie Brown uh, visiting with us on flashblackradio.com. Thank you so much for your listenership. And we ask that you continue to tune in and check us out. Thank you so much. Talk to you next time. Stay blessed. Stay woke.